Welcome back, creeps. Oh my god, here we are. It has literally been like almost three months. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit, I was, I was expecting you to say two weeks, but... Yeah, no, like, I was thinking, even when we took our little break, it was like, ah, you know, week, two weeks or something, that's going to be it. But it wasn't. No, I wasn't expecting a week or two weeks, actually. I was expect. I, I'm surprised it was this long. I didn't anticipate that, but I knew it was going to be a long time. Yeah. So this is season two of Weekly Creep. I think that's what we're going to call it. Yeah. This is Good idea. Yeah. Where'd you get that idea? <laughs> I'm just a fucking idea man now. <laughs> but yeah, so sorry that it was a bit um, abrupt or a bit sudden, the break. But mm. basically just schedules changed with the summer and stuff like that. So we just couldn't actually record. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this is like a learning lesson where it's like, maybe it's not a bad idea to have seasons because I never understood seasons until we were like two years in and I was like, I understand why podcasts do <laughs> yeah, seasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, that... it's a more ske- it's scheduled break, basically. Yeah, so that's we'll, all it is. We'll try and arrange it a bit more and give people notice. Yeah, yeah. Um, next time so if you do hear noise in the background and stuff like that we do apologize but we have realized that we are like really limited with time so mm-hmm. we can't just that this is what would happen like we would start and then something would happen outside like yesterday mm-hmm. for example i was trying to record just f and ghost stories which is my other podcast and you need to go and check that out and literally as soon as i sat down to record a couple of the stories you'll see in the video like i literally changed costume or changed my outfit like three times but as soon as i sat down to record the heavy trash guys just came and just parked outside our house they weren't even lifting anything they just had their trucks on and like the horns and stuff yeah i mean there are some things that we just can't help and i'm sure like tons of people i want to say like 85 percent of our audience understands that Living with roommates, you know, yeah, with like more than three people in a household, in a very small house or an apartment, people that have children, people that have pets, people live in busy, like in the center of downtown or, you know, like busy areas. You're going to hear sound. Yeah. It's a natural part of life. Unless you live in the middle of nowhere, just with two people or maybe just one person. And you know what I mean? That's the dream. But then you're you're going to have noise. (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna hear yeah. something and what i'm personally gonna do is try not to get let that get in the way for me because i guess uh being a perfectionist doesn't mean that everything is always perfect or like that the outcome is a lot of the time for me personally it's i don't realize that i'm i'm just being an arsehole <laughs> you know what i mean it's like no it's not right i can't do it it's got to be frustrating though because you're chasing an ideal that doesn't exist yeah yeah. So with that being said, we're not going to beat around the bush too much. We did just get back from a lovely vacation. We were like almost two full weeks in San, San Antonio and Austin. Yeah. My scalp is just flaking all of the sunburn off now. Uh, specifically gross. Lake Travis. I don't know if Lake Travis is a part of Austin. If you know, let us know. Yeah. But we were in that area and Lake Travis is like, I guess, I guess you could call it like the suburbs of Austin and it's gorgeous out yeah, there. Yeah, it's the nicest place I've seen since I've been in Texas. Um, I was very impressed. 
Yeah. So yeah, now we're relaxed, we're refreshed, we're rejuvenated. This is going to be coming out, I think, on August 26th. Nice. Um, nice. Just nice. in time for the kids to go back to school. Yeah. Yeah. All those kids that we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hi, kids. <laughs> but yeah, in the meantime, Dulce has been doing her Twitch streams. She just stopped while we were on vacation. She's getting back into that. Yeah, tomorrow's going to be my first day back. And I'm doing just effing ghost stories, which is, I mean, it's just me telling ghost stories on my own. There's no like back and forth or anything. There's no, like no, that's it. It's just stories. So yeah. if you like just stories, go for that. Yeah. And um, I also started uploading a TikTok series, which just ended up being a Texan series. I have a few more planned that all just happen to be in Texas. Uh, so follow us on tiktok stuff like that if you're new here because i feel like a lot of people um started listening to us the week or the couple of weeks right before we took our break welcome and reach out to us say hello let us know like who you are or whatever on instagram because our regular folks like we're familiar with them you know what i mean like we talk to them on instagram and stuff like that so i have seen a few new faces that i wasn't familiar with so reach out to us introduce yourselves and uh yeah we're going to get back into it and Dulce is going to tell us a nice little or read us a tarot card. I was about to say tarot story. <laughs> I was just jotting down an idea I had for my Twitch stream that just came to me while I was looking at the book cover. Book club slash book review on Twitch. And while I'm reading, I can make like bullet points of like things that I want to talk about. Nice. All right, y'all. The tarot card of the day is Ace of Wands reversed. Today's message is, look for inspiration everywhere. Today. Today. Be ready to write down notes so you don't forget the ideas that pop into your head. Even if something seems impossible or way too big, write it down. You never know. That's perfect timing because we're going to release this when kids are going back to school. Yeah, that's true. And it's actually something I've been doing lately is... yeah. Like the small ideas that I'll forget if I don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, I literally just wrote yeah, one. Literally. <laughs> like, I even, we're like, hold on. This, I just want to tell you real quick this idea that I had to yeah, yeah. my Twitch stream. <laughs> All right, cool. So, well, yeah. talk about on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's what I've been using my Slytherin notebook for. <laughs> nice. I got a fluffy notebook that I got from your parents. Oh, yeah, for your birthday. Yeah, it's in the shape of a cat. It looks like a flat cat. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, you guys have already seen the title of this episode. I hope you're all as excited for this as I am because I went balls deep. Whoa. Yeah, like I was up there. In there. In this thing. I had like to get swimwear. Yeah. lubed up. I had Vaseline on my feet and whoa, everything. Whoa, 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 graphic. Like, yeah. <laughs> Think of the children. <laughs> so, this is the story, or at least my version of the story of Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, the sources that I've used so far uh-huh. are the Desiree News, Path of the Skinwalker by George Knapp, Hunt for the Skinwalker by George Knapp and Colm Kelleher, Hunt for the Skinwalker, the documentary, and um, IMDb for something I can't even remember what, BasinNow.com, uh, one of Jim Harold's Paranormal Podcast episodes. It was 7.30. It was an interview with Colm Kelleher, who turns out he's from Ireland. Like, went to Trinity College and all in Dublin. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Um, That's how you know you're real. 
You went to Trinity. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the swanky <laughs> one. That's the one that I've only ever visited. I mean, I've only ever visited any of them. Anyway, <laughs> so this is just an introduction, basically. But in the autumn of 1994, Terry and Gwen Sherman first set eyes on their dream property, a 400-acre expanse of run-down and rugged but beautiful and lush land bordered on the north by a 200-foot ridge of red rock. Although the price was very reasonable, Terry knew that the land would require quite a bit of work before they could even start moving in their prize cattle. Just beside the large pasture where this herd of cattle would one day graze was a modest ranch house. When the Sherman family went inside to check it out, however, they found that every door in the house had not just one, but several large, heavy-duty deadbolts on both sides, inside and out. All of the windows, too, were bolted shut and had metal bars, and there were large metal chains secured to the exterior walls on either end of the house. Now, this definitely gave the family a weird feeling, but they just put it down to eccentric old folks being overly conscious of their household security, maybe even just a little bit paranoid, living out there on their own. The land is fairly isolated as it is, so it's not too far-fetched. And besides, they had added some weird clauses to the real estate contract like, quote, no digging on the land without first warning the previous owners. So their assumption was that they were just old and kind of had a few screws loose or something, you know? Okay. Like, that's just, yeah, sure. Let's just go along with it. I would have just assumed like, okay, I, I maybe they were digging up like some dead pets. That literally never even entered my, my head. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Could have been, yeah, yeah, Fluffy's out the back. Yeah, there's just like a, a designated area that's unmarked that where all the pets go. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of pet, pet cemetery. cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go down that road. <laughs> um, but that is a good point because actually like in our old house, like the house that I lived in when I was first born, Lassie is buried down the back. Yeah. Golden Retriever, like, uh-huh. uh, just wondering now, did those people ever uncover that while they were like, yeah, digging up the flower beds or something? Yeah, like I, I'm the like me. I'm the only. I think I don't think my parents know where Chief is buried, but I for sure remember where I buried him. Yeah, but there's no marker there. Is it in the back garden? Yeah, in a specific spot. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, according to Wikipedia. The owners of the ranch prior to 1994 were Kenneth and Edith Myers, who had owned it since possibly as far back as 1934, although according to Hunt for the Skinwalker, they had lived there since the 1950s. Either way, it was a long time, and apparently the property had been vacant from 1987 for one reason or another. Some sources say that the previous owners had died, while others suggested that they just couldn't stay there any longer and were very eager to sell. Hence why the Sherman family were getting it for such a fair price. I'm going to take the sceptical approach here and assume that maybe one or both of the owners had passed away and it was left to the family to sell. But that's just me trying to come up with a very like middle of the road rational theory. And it would also lend to the Shermans just assuming that the strange security measures were the result of lonely old people living in the house previously. Mm. So this next part is going to be a very unlearned and brief account of the history of the land. I do apologize if I've gotten anything wrong. Feel free to reach out and correct me. But anyway, here it goes. The ranch is located in the Uintah Basin in the Badlands of Utah. 
The area has been home to various tribes of the Native American people for over 12,000 years until some Spaniards showed up in the 1770s. These lads were part of an expedition which was led by two priests, Father Dominguez and Father Escalante. Very stereotypical, like conquistador names. Spanish names, yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether they made any sort of settlements there at this time, honestly, or whether it just became a sort of trading outpost for people passing through. But either way, it was like on the map, you know. And in the 1860s, Brigham Young, second president of the cult of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, sent some folks out to the basin to see if they could insert themselves there. They had been basically traveling around at that time to find a place where they could call their own after their first president, the guy who fabricated the whole thing, had been murdered in Illinois. So if you want to learn more about the history of Mormonism, because this is a whole other thing, I would highly recommend listening to the last podcast on the left series. They did a couple of years ago. I think it was like a six part deep dive oh, wow. into the cult of Mormonism and like the creator of it and all that. Yeah. Who I think was Joseph Smith and then Brigham Young was the second guy. And Brigham Young was the really bad one, as far as I remember. Anyway, the Mormons took their place in what is today Provo in Utah, which was Timpanogos Ute territory. But obviously they were forced out and eventually, on Abe Lincoln's order, were sent to live in the Uinta Basin, 150 miles. I'm talking about the Ute tribe. Yeah. They were forced out. Um. And they were sent to live in the Uinta Basin, 150 miles from Ute, from Provo. Lincoln promised the tribe that this reservation would belong to the Utes for all of time. Less than 20 years later, however, the Mormons started pushing into this land too. In 1885, prospectors found rich deposits of black hydrocarbon, which was used at the time to make paints, lacquers, varnishes and insulation. They petitioned the Congress... And ultimately, the Native American land was reduced in size by around 7,000 acres. Could have been more, but that's just the figure that I read. And the government said that they would pay $20 per acre to the Ute tribe, which would translate today to around $4.4 million. I'm obviously skimming through a lot of like rich history here, but there was even more displacement of Native American people from Colorado at this same time, which actually borders modern-day Uinta County to the east, and the sheer number of rightfully upset, misplaced people meant that the U.S. Army had to set up a tactically located outpost where the Duchesne and Uinta rivers met. Okay, this is, I told you, this is going, like, deep, right? But this fort would eventually become known as Fort Duchesne. In August of 1886, Major Benteen led a contingent of the 9th U.S. Cavalry to the new location. The contingent of men he brought with him consisted of 75 legendary soldiers. These were the Buffalo Soldiers, like the song. Yeah. Did, had you heard of these before? No. So the Buffalo Soldiers were an all-African-American group who supposedly got the nickname from the Native Americans that they fought against because their curly hair and fierce fighting reminded them of the buffalo that they would hunt. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I also read that the majority of them actually wore buffalo skin coats so uh -huh. i don't know which came first like they wore the buffalo skin because they were buffalo soldiers yeah, or yeah. whatever i'm sure this is all whitewashed history anyway but these guys were revered by the white soldiers and when the soldiers who were already there saw the buffalo soldiers marching in they literally stood back and just cheered huh. they were like we're safe yeah from everything now yeah 
The interesting thing about this particular group of African-American soldiers stationed at Fort Duchesne, other than the legendary stories, is that a lot of them were members of a particularly secretive fraternal organization, notoriously known for their use of ritualistic symbolism, secret boy-to-boy handshakes, and who have even developed their own sign language. The Freemasons. No shit. Yeah. I had no idea. The, the levels to this story are insane. So other famous members of the Freemasons include Sam Houston, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, the horniest forefather of them all, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Mark Twain, and Richard Pryor. The comedian. Like the comedian? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got these names from IMDb. That's why I used IMDb uh. as the source. Uh, so God only knows how true that list is, but it is supposed to be a secret organization. So it's so much like, you know, rumor around it and who so really knows. But The Buffalo Soldiers, that's where the origin of the Freemasons come from. I don't think they were the, they started it, but they certainly started a chapter and a lot of them were members of the Freemasons. Okay, because like. So, okay, so they George were a Washington part of, and stuff. so they may not have started it, but they were a part of a chapter of the Freemasons. Yeah. Got it. And they started the chapter in Fort Duchesne. Got it. Got it. And it also wasn't every Buffalo soldier. Yeah. But it was a lot of them. Okay. Just interesting things because like from the outside looking in, like Catholicism or Christianity, the Freemasons do all these like ritualistic Basically magic. Yeah. For want of a better word, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. You draw symbols on a piece of paper or you pray to some whatever. Yeah. With the intent of furthering yourself or bettering something. Yeah. It's a very similar thing. And it's also said to be linked to the infamous Skull and Bone Society that, you know, other famous people like George Bush was a member of. Mm -hmm. So it's still to this day a very elite quote-unquote club and you need money to be in it right otherwise i mean like i would assume only use like quote useful people yeah with connections i mean it yeah it really just sounds like a place for men to go and do manly things with each other like yeah butts and stuff like that you know yeah anyway touch butts back to the buffalo soldiers (laughs) briefly A very ironic kind of random fact is that a graveyard where a lot of these guys were buried, complete with Masonic symbols on the graves and stuff, was actually completely covered up in order to build houses or apartments for, can you guess, the Native Americans who had been displaced in the first place. Really? Yeah. So it's just such a staple horror movie trope. Like the author of the book said, like, how ironic. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that... It's always in these horror stories like this house was built on a Native American yeah, graveyard. But this but actually wasn't. this was the Native Americans building on yeah, yeah, yeah. the African American soldiers' graveyard. That's interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so it's like basically the opposite of the horror movie trope. But this has left like a lot of local Native American people questioning whether this alone was enough to like taint the land uh-huh. or whether it was already kind of messed up anyway. Yeah. Terry Sherman actually found a Masonic symbol carved into the ridge on his ranch, which was in a place which had been like super difficult to get to. Like, I don't think he could actually physically get there. He was just rambling around looking for something else and just 
found this really bizarre symbol like carved into the wall of his of a cliff on his land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so like that's how local this stuff was. Anyway, when the land was officially named public domain and the mining businesses took off, a load of pubs and brothels and like gambling houses, stuff like that, all popped up near the fort. But the military guys weren't supposed to go and play, but obviously they did. And as they would make their way back to Fort Deschain after their drinking happy fun times, they would discard their empty liquor bottles in a ravine. That ravine became so chock full of bottles that it became known as Bottle Hollow. Why are we talking about this pile of garbage in the middle of Utah? Because you like trivia? I do love trivia. And i that's one of my favorite things so far about this story is the amount of like tiny little random facts. But Bottle Hollow is still known today as Bottle Hollow. And in the 1970s, the government built a reservoir there and flooded it. Today, it's known as Bottle Hollow Reservoir. Okay. Now, they built this reservoir out of the goodness of their own hearts after diverting all of the tribal waters for the Central Water Project, okay, or the Central Utah Water Project. So this this is in the 70s. This is recent history. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, here, guys, like, take your land back, Native American people who we took it from in the first place, and then told them that, you know, we could give it back and then took it again. And then we said that we're going to pay you, and then we never did. Possibly never did. Then they finally got the land back. And then when you got angry, we brought out the military. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? And then... In the 1970s, after being given the land back and they moved in, all their water was diverted, <laughs> you know. So anyway, they that's why they flooded this area and gave the native people um, Bottle Hollow Reservoir. So they gave them a body of water that had bottles underneath it all. I mean... Because I'm pretty sure they didn't clean out those bottles. Probably not, but like, like I'm sure it would be filtered in the process. I don't know the ins would and outs it of it. Either way, the name stuck. Bottle Hollow Reservoir <laughs> is located just to the north of what we will be calling the Sherman Ranch from now on, as long as I can remember. And ever since it was first flooded, people have said that they see things in the water. Reports from tribal police of what looked like giant snakes on moonlit nights and an inordinate amount of drowning cases over the last 50 years or so that it's been around. One particularly harrowing report was of a young woman who was swimming in the lake at night with a friend when witnesses heard her suddenly scream that something had a hold of her and was pulling her under the water. Mm. Her friend said he dove under and wrestled with a huge snake while he was trying to save her, but she was already dead by the time that he managed to free her. Admittedly, This could be written off as just an unfortunate case of panic, but the witnesses on the beach did add some credence to the official report. And more than just half-glimpsed lake monsters have been reported from Bottle Hollow as well. In 1998, a police officer saw a large light dive into the middle of the reservoir and then quickly exit and fly off into the night sky. In 2002, four young Caucasian men, the distinction is made, I believe, just to show that the experiences are not just affecting the local tribes people. Mm-hmm. But the four guys were chilling on the beach with their quote unquote dates. I think it was just all of them. They were each other's dates in my head anyway. <laughs> when a blue white ball of light flew out of the darkness from the direction of Sherman Ranch before diving into the water not far from the shore. When it emerged just a few seconds later, 
It had changed into something resembling a shimmering, maneuverable, belt-shaped shaft of light. It bounced around in the air for a few seconds and then shot off back towards the ranch, disappearing just below the top of the ridge. Hmm. So, like, that's not just a quick glimpse thing. Like, that's a... Yeah, like... A full episode's worth of... Yeah, it's not like... Did you see that? It's like, are you watching this now as it's continuously happening? Yeah. Yeah. And like hearing the splash, seeing it come back out of the water, stuff like that. And these are not unique sightings in this area either, like not by a long shot. Joseph Jr. Hicks had been documenting UFO sightings in this area since as early as 1951. Whoa. Now, Jr. was a hell of a man. Born in 1927... He enlisted in the Navy as soon as he graduated high school in 1945. He got a bachelor's degree in secondary education and taught in Uintah County for 33 years. He was also a pilot with his own private plane and an electrician who only officially retired after 65 years of service at the age of 90. Wowzers. (laughs) Yeah, he renewed that license every year. (laughs) He passed away in 2020 at at the age of 92. Oh, wow. Yeah, like he was really up there. But he was also known as the region's unofficial UFO historian. Although his family left that out of the obituary for some reason. Boo. But the family are like open with his records and stuff. They have access to it and they're not shy about sharing them, which is cool. I guess it is a little weird if I like if say you were to pass away and I just like leave out podcaster from your obituaries. Uh, Would it be too weird? Yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> like amateur painter of the bathroom one time, like yeah. But this guy was well known throughout the county, like painter of exclusively squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, in 1951, a group of 30 students and their teacher witnessed a cigar-shaped UFO just sitting on the ground in broad daylight, about 50 feet away from them. Cigar-shaped. Cigar shaped, yeah. Haven't we had this conversation before? It's not an uncommon thing. The shape, right? Cigar. This, yeah. Yeah. So I think typically, I might be wrong, but it's Mexican hat style, not sombrero. Like the UFO geeks call it the Mexican hat style <laughs> um, ships or UFOs. Okay. The silver discs and the cigar the cigar. Shapes. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's others too, but as far as I can remember off the top of my head, That's the three kind of common ones. But since Mr. Hicks was a science teacher, like for the local high school, he took it upon himself to individually interview all of the witnesses and concluded that this was a genuine encounter. He decided to pursue this path and began reaching out to other experiencers of strange activity. And being such a trustworthy and well-known member of the community, he soon found himself with over 400, quote, impressive cases. Okay. Not counting the thousands of reports of, oh, yeah, I saw a lot in the sky that one time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like these were 400 distinguished, like, like what the fuck was like that? Like meaty. Yeah. Yeah. Girthy stories. And they came from people of all shapes, sizes, colors and backgrounds, all confiding their encounters with Mr. Hicks over the years. And according to him, the UFOs witnessed in the area ranged from 20 to 30 feet across to the size of a football field which is about 90 meters by 50 meters for anyone who is not American, because I didn't know. But the range of shapes, oh, here we go. The range of shapes witnessed are round, oval, cigar-shaped, triangular, and more. Mm. 
Yeah. A Native American resident actually shot one with his rifle. Whoa. And heard the bullet ricochet off of a very metal ship. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, like I'm just picturing the scene. I'm pretty sure he was on a horse as well. So like just in the desert, like. What year was this? I I don't know. Oh. I can't remember. He might have been in a truck. He might have been. Yeah. Which kind of ruins my thing anyway. Oh, sorry. That's fine. <laughs> but witnesses in at least six of the reports in his large portfolio claim to have actually seen beings on board the crafts that they witnessed. And one rancher, whose father had been a respected Native American elder, even said that a silver saucer landed on his property. And through a row of windows on the saucer, he could see five short human-esque beings Whoa. walking around inside wearing what looked like little white overalls. What were they doing? They're just walking around? I don't know. My next note is maybe they were just painter decorators. Yeah. <laughs> like in their little white overalls. But yeah, like the the handful of people that have seen them, they're just like going about their daily business in wow. their ship or whatever. Yeah. Hicks himself witnessed an orange ball fly over the town of Roosevelt in the mid-1970s. It zipped around at a high rate of speed, made an abrupt right-angle turn, hovered in the air over the town, and then shot off at an incredible speed. One other possible UFO sighting that Hicks uncovered actually dates back to the Spanish expedition of the 1770s, the two boys, because apparently Father Escalante reported seeing a strange fireball shooting across the place where they had set up camp. Mm. And this is just in his, like, diary or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, strange lightning that I saw or something, yeah. you know. But it's a good theory. And one of Mr. Hicks's theories as to why there is so much unexplained activity in this area is because of the rich mineral deposits. That hydrocarbon stuff is apparently very rare and even gold, silver, oil and gas is all found all over this area or has been at one time or another. Mm -hmm. He also thinks it may be some sort of psychological experiment being carried out by the extraterrestrials. These are just Mm. some of his theories. Yeah, yeah. But who knows? Like, Along with countless UFO encounters, Hicks says that sightings of creatures that resemble Sasquatch or Bigfoot are a very common occurrence. What I thought was extremely interesting here was that the Native Americans that Hicks and the authors of Hunt for the Skinwalker interviewed seemed split on the Bigfoot thing. There is so much lore and different beliefs in the Bigfoot realm that I have purposefully avoided it for quite a while because I'm very interested. But in this instance, the locals seem to think that the stories of Bigfoot encounters here are just that, Bigfoot encounters whether he is a physical creature or some sort of all-knowing forest ghost. Yeah. While other people seem to think that what people are actually encountering is a skinwalker that has taken on the appearance of the mythical Bigfoot creature to lure people into a false sense of security because the skinwalkers are nothing but beings of pure evil that can assume the shape of any animal, so why not assume the shape of a Bigfoot who may or may not be real in the physical life anyway in the first place? Because it would counteract the... Like, that's almost like contradicting itself. It's like, I don't want to scare you, so I'm going to turn into a Bigfoot, even though I can turn into an animal, which will probably make you less scared. Yeah. It's so dumb. But then also, (laughs) who's going to believe that you saw this Bigfoot creature? Yeah, you're more than likely, like, if you tell me, hey, I saw an owl, I'd be more inclined to believe you. Yeah, and then, like, one of the really interesting things that this is going off track, like like I said, I purposely left out a big chunk of this particular section. But one of the Native American people that was talking, I think he was a security guard or something, 
um, or a local police officer, maybe. Anyway, his belief was that if you see a coyote, like that could actually be Bigfoot, like impersonating a coyote because Bigfoot are also shapeshifters. And when you see the Bigfoot, that's just it in its original form. So there's so much. Yeah. And while like some of what I read was, you know, and this is what I like to believe is that Bigfoot, if it's there, is this all-knowing forest creature as old as the trees. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who just happens to be a shapeshifter who can go invisible. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's there's so much, like, guessing. But anyway. It could be an elemental. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just transcends time. Yeah, he's just doing his own thing. Yeah. I would have... I do avoid people and i am a people like you know what i mean yeah. so if i was him i'd definitely be hiding anyway back to the shermans so they had bought the land obviously to raise their cattle but they were also trying to escape the pettiness of small town living now i don't know what had happened previously but anywhere and everywhere that i was reading about them and the ranch it mentioned that they were just sick of all the gossiping and busybodies in the small town that they had come from that kind of sounds like the girl that's like, oh, I hate drama. But That's exactly what it sounds <laughs> like to me. Because <laughs> yeah. the meme. <laughs> like, oh, I am so sick of going to that church because, you know, they're all bitches there. Yeah, yeah. Even, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or and the you- family that's like, oh, I just, you know, yeah, like my neighbors are always talking shit about me. But let me tell you what, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I've seen them. Yeah. I've, I've seen them leaving for their trucks at like 6 a.m. They leave their trucks running. Did yeah. you know that? Mm-hmm. Their dog they got money to take burn. shit on my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've also been in that circle of uh, it's a very Irish thing. Like when the neighbor pulls up in a new car, you can't be happy for them. So wonder what they did now to the, that they're after yeah. getting that new car. Yeah, they're probably selling drugs. Yeah, you know, up to no good as always. Yeah. Them and their fucking education. <laughs> <laughs> Think you're better than me? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. So that's just conjecture on our part. But <laughs> It just sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. And like in my head, Tom is the very, or Terry is the very opposite. Anyway, they bought this land to raise the cattle. And they just wanted to be left alone and raise their kids as best they could. The family are also described as just incredibly outstanding members of society. In the fall of 1994, their son was in his teens and their daughter was around 12 years old. Tad and Kate, the book used pseudonyms, so I don't actually know the kids' real names. But they were said to be straight-A students and very hardworking, just like their parents. Anytime anyone describes Terry, the dad, or even just mentions him, They make him out to be like, imagine if Clint Eastwood and Rambo had a fight, the winner would fight Terry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, certainly not just just some simple ranch man. Like, he was already an established rancher with a reputation for producing top class cattle. He had learned how to artificially inseminate a cow from watching his dad. I don't know if the dad was inseminating the cow. What's the the character's name from... um... The TV show you like watching? Oh, um, Letterkenny's. I can't remember. I've only seen a handful of it. It sounds like that would be. Yeah, scary. just very dry. Yeah. Well, better get it done. Okay, that that makes okay. So uh, that's going to be Terry in my in head. your head. Okay, yeah. but that time stand like toughest man on the land. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in my head when I read that line, he had learned how to artificially inseminate a cow from watching his dad do it. 
like my head went straight to him seeing his dad fucking a cow like i didn't grow up on a farm so I was like, um come on anyway his dad was also a good artificial inseminator and it said that while a regular rancher could easily lose up to 5% of their animals in any given year due to sloppy housekeeping, Terry saw it as a total failure to lose even 1%. Oh, wow. He could track, he could shoot, he had the eyes of an eagle, ears of a mountain lion, nose of a bloodhound, and probably a cock like a rhinoceros, according to <laughs> anyone that met him. Because that's how highly people talk about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Like, like when when he undresses at night, you just hear a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While Gwen was said to be extremely intelligent with a keen sense of business. Oh, Gwen okay. is the wife. Uh, clearly a very happy wife. <laughs> <laughs> but the very first weekend that the Shermans took over the ranch, they had the first of many extremely bizarre encounters. They had just put a handful of calves in the corral by the house but that was all for the time being. I think they were like slowly trying to integrate them, but there was so much work done to get the place ready for like their prize cattle. I might get into it further on down here, but I, I went down like a whole fucking like beef rabbit hole, like learning the price <laughs> of different cows and really? stuff. Because these guys handle like top fucking like tier. Beef. Yeah, cows like like a lot of money. Um, anyway, so they had just put a handful in for the time being, but they were getting the place ready for the rest of them. <laughs> Apologies for the leaf blower. This is what we're talking about. Anyway, the guys were, the family were literally unloading stuff to move into the house from the bed of Terry's truck when they noticed a large something moving towards them across the field about a half a mile away. That'll also give you a good idea of like the vastness of their land. The fact that they have a half mile in front of their house, which That's is just awesome. pasture. Like, yeah. Terry knew it wasn't a coyote just by the sheer size of it. The animal was walking towards them in a back and forth S like pattern. But as soon as it came closer, they realized that what they were looking at was a large gray wolf. It stopped about 50 yards away from Terry, Gwen and Terry's dad, Ed who wondered aloud if, oh, maybe it's just somebody's pet. This is farmland, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wolf started casually walking towards the family, and they realized that it was almost chest height to the two men who were damn. over six foot tall. And damn! Yeah. I could ride that thing! Literally, yeah. This is why I want one. Oh, God. Continue. From about ten feet away, they could smell the strong scent of wet dog as he Ew. marched placidly towards Ed, who just reached out to pet him. <laughs> just like that. Just like that. But as he reached out to pet him, he noticed that the animal's eyes were piercing light blue. Oh, okay. Gwen called the kids over. Oh, like, wow. come on over, look at this gigantic uh, fucking wolf dog thing. How that just... fucking able are the kids, though, where she felt confident enough to call them over? I feel like they could definitely handle themselves. Yeah, it's just probably like, well, I've seen them kill the bear with their own hands. Yeah, yeah. Because it tried to take their toys. <laughs> so they all came over and they're all just marveling at this giant creature while he just walked around calmly from one to the other getting pets. The son even suggested keeping him as their own pet. Like, oh, maybe he's a stray. Straight up, man. <laughs> yeah. But in the blink of an eye, 
the wolf had jumped and had the head of a curious calf in its jaws. So he had tried to pull the calf through the bars of the corral. Oh, shit. Yeah. So the calf had stuck his head through the bars anyway, because calves are so fucking cute. And this wolf just straight away latched onto his face. Oh, wow. Yeah. After a few seconds of shock, Terry ran over and started kicking the wolf as hard as he could, while Ed grabbed a baseball bat from the box he had just been taking out of the truck and just started wailing on it. Mm -hmm. The next scene is like something from a cartoon. This is when we really get to know Terry. Okay. Between kicks, Terry snaps at his son. Get my magnum. Straight up. Straight up. Which was in the truck right next to him. So kid runs, gets the gun, gives it to his dad. Terry shoots the wolf a point blank in the ribs and the wolf doesn't even flinch. Damn. No blood either. He shoots it again. Nothing. He shoots it a third time, all point blank. And finally, the wolf lets go of the calf. But not because he's hurt. It just seems more inconvenienced by all of this. Like it's just too much hassle for what it's worth. Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Like, let me eat the cup. Now it stood 10 feet from Terry. It's cold blue eyes staring at him. Terry raised his magnum, aimed, and shot the thing where its heart should have been. The creature backs off another 30 feet, still not bleeding, still showing no signs of injury whatsoever. Get the 30 out six. <laughs> Terry growls at his son through clenched teeth. He's like, I need a bigger, we're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) Tad runs inside the house and quickly returns with the gun. Terry aims his deer killer at the beast and he pulls the trigger. The sound of the shot rang out through the field, followed closely by the sound of the bullet hitting the flesh and bone of the creature. Wow. The wolf finally recoils, but still shows no sign of pain. Terry aimed again and shot straight through the thing blowing a literal chunk of flesh off of the wolf. Casually, as though bored, the wolf turns and walks back across the field where it came from. But Terry wasn't done with it yet. (laughs) Yeah. He gives his son the magnum and they both take off running. Whoa. Come on, boy. (laughs) Even though the wolf was just casually trotting away, it was covering ground quickly and Terry and Tad literally had to run It disappeared into the tree line ahead of them, but they could easily see its tracks as it was a wet day and the heavy wolf had left half-inch deep tracks in the mud. But no sign of blood still? No, but a big lump of flesh left behind. What? They ran for about a mile, following the tracks through thick undergrowth until they finally came to a clearing. They followed the tracks down towards the creek where the mud got so bad that the wolf paws had sunk two inches deep and then they just stopped disappeared yeah the tracks were gone it looked like the wolf had just vanished into thin air right yeah. along with them the sun was about to set and terry told tad that they best be getting back to the homestead they walked in silence almost the whole way back terry told tad that he couldn't explain what had happened and he wouldn't try to either it was best if they just forgot the whole thing like how awkward for this son <laughs> you know like yeah. i've been with my dad when you know, he was trying to fix something and it wasn't going his way. Mm. And it's like, okay, let's just, uh, let's just walk quietly. Like, we're saying, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But his, like Terry's there seething at the mouth with a gun in his hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they were both yeah, terrified. Yeah, you were the son, you'd be like, what wolf? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't even see a wolf. <laughs> but no, they, they were both terrified. Like Terry later admitted, like he was scared. Yeah. Well, yeah, because imagine, like, I can only imagine, like, 
especially like if you're that kind of person and like there like back in the day there's no technology mm-hmm. and you're just completely able-bodied like you know everything there is to know about your farm inside and out how to make money like the quality and of your cattle like you have this vast knowledge of just surviving in your field yeah everything is black and white exactly dead and or then alive. and then when you come across this you're just like well shit i'm finally up against something for probably it's been a long time that he doesn't have an answer for something yeah it, this it's, is not something that he can control exactly and it's probably even more jarring for the kid that's like well my dad knows everything yeah and then he's like you know what I mean? His like, dad is literally the strongest man. Like he's a, a and he's, killer, he's like. a break in the armor. Yeah, so crazy. And this is their first weekend. They have just moved into this new fucking yeah. land. Right? Anyway, only a few weeks later, Gwen was driving home from work. She worked in the town, like not on the ranch. She worked like I can't fucking remember what what she was doing. Anyway, to get onto the property, she had to get out of her car, open the gate drive the car in, get back out and close it. As she got back into her car after doing this this evening, she saw something out of the corner of her eye. It was a huge wolf. It was about 30 feet away from her car when she noticed it and it continued silently walking right up to her car window, fogging the glass with its hot breath. She said its head was taller than the roof of her Chevette, which I looked up. It's like a small enough car. What year was but this? 1994. I don't know what year the Chevette was, though. This is so recent. Oh, yeah. Like, last week, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, oh, wait. So there was technology. Some technology. Yeah, but like, it's not like you could just take out your phone and Google it. Anyway, yeah, this yeah. thing is literally leaning down, breathing its hot breath on her driver's window. This is fucking Cujo, man. Yeah. Again, the wolf had light blue eyes and looked... Much like the one that they had just seen in the pasture not that long ago. Yeah. But creepier still was the dog-like creature standing just a little farther away. She said it looked like a dog, but that its head seemed to be way too big for its body. And it wasn't quite as big as the wolf. She finally came to her senses, punched the gas and sped back to the house. Now, that was it. Right, like they they mentioned it to neighbors, and apparently, uh, another neighbor had like casually brought up something about a pack of wolves living on their land. Uh-huh. But these encounters left Terry and Gwen thinking that like these beasts were somewhat tame, just bizarre. Yeah. Regardless, though, they were trying to move their super expensive cattle onto the land, yeah. so this was not an option for them to have wolves like just roaming free. Yeah. So Gwen took herself down to the local tribal police in Fort Duchesne the following day to complain. But the folks down there looked at her like she was completely fucking like bananas. They actually told her that the last wolf had in Utah had been shot in 1929 and nobody in the area owned any pet wolves either. Uh. Now these guys are not like your local HPD or anything like these are local tribal police. They know their community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, either way. They would see the wolves a few more times over the next few weeks. And then they just never saw them again. Straight up. Just like a spate of large wolf encounters. Yeah. Then it was gone. When someone showed them a picture of a dire wolf a few a few years later, they said that is exactly what they saw. Dire, dire wolf. wolf from Game of Thrones. Like they were real. 
But dire wolves became extinct approximately 10,000 years ago. Wow. And they said that's the closest thing to what they had seen. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's the start of the Sherman Ranch, as we are going to call it. <laughs> but yeah, that's just a, a, a nice little introduction to get us in the mood for what's to come. Because, yeah. because this story is <laughs> fucking nuts. Or the Spinsbacher Ranch, if you want to call it. Spinsbacher, yeah. Flimflocker. Yeah, Flimflocker. The reason why we're doing that is because, like, according to respect Native American beliefs... Correct. Speaking as an uneducated person, all I know is that they do not like that word being spoken. Yeah. Oh. And um, it said that if you do speak the word, then you're inviting that kind of stuff to you. But yeah, which like around Houston, I don't get all that scared when I'm like reading these things and, and that kind of thing. But where we were in like travesty of the night, literally in the middle of like... Yeah. What looked like forest. It was so nice. But don't let that that like fool you because I mean things like black eyed kids yeah, true. happen in have like can happen in populated areas. And speaking of which, if you listen to just F and ghost stories, yeah. I cover stories about both flim flockers and black eyed kids just recently. Um but yeah, thanks. As always, for listening and thanks for patiently waiting while we took some time off. Another big reason why we did it as well is because we enjoy doing this and we want to keep enjoy doing this. Correct. So the time off was very necessary. It would be different if we were getting, like if this was our career, but it's not. Yeah, we have the luxury of taking this off. Yeah. And like we're also both working full time and this is pretty much full time as well. A lot of the time. But we love it. So... Tune in next week for The Sherman Ranch Part 2. When are you streaming next? I usually stream every Sunday. I'm going to do 2 p.m. All right. Aim yeah. for 2 p.m. Central Time on Twitch. Your handle is? Kitty Cat Country. Kitty Cat Country. All case. You can check out Just F and Ghost Stories at Just F and Ghost Stories. Send your personal stories to there now. Because I'm going to be reading them on there, just like nice and spooky. Like, if you want us to read your story together, send it to the weekly creep Gmail. It's probably getting confusing for everybody. Anyway, don't if, forget. If you're confused, we do have a website. Yeah, just follow the link in our bio. That will bring you to everything that we do. Yeah. The list is just getting longer. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Yep, that's it. All right. Bye. Bye.